Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our virtual podcast studio, Dr. Nicole Cook, who is the Augusta Baker Endowed Chair and an Associate Professor at the University of South Carolina School of Library and Information Science. So welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me back. And I say having you back because we hosted you for episode 97. That was in October of 2019, so not too, too long ago. And we had discussed a lot about equity, diversity, and inclusion, inclusion, which is also known as EDI. So that's a popular acronym that is, um, I think, especially nowadays, on the tips of a lot of folks' tongues. And, um, and I wanted to invite you back to you know, discuss the Black Lives Matter movement in libraries and, you know, it's a time of growing protests nationwide and worldwide and, you know, we're also in this odd time of a global pandemic. So, you know, one of the things I thought about was reaching out to you and seeing if you could just chat with us a little bit. So before we do that, remind us a little bit about your research areas and also what is the Augusta Baker Chair? Sure. So my research areas, I have uh, really two main tracks, if you will. Uh, One is, uh, as you mentioned, equity, diversity, and inclusion. I also include social justice uh, with that. So, you know, we have uh, increasingly complicated acronyms now. Um, And so with the endowed chair position, that's really what I focus on. And I'm using that to even uh, amplify and increase outreach efforts. So uh, the School of Library and Information Science, we talk a lot about community literacy. Uh, We talk about building knowledge and really using that chair to do that. And so I sometimes describe it as doing that diversity outreach and creating those partnerships and really making an effort to build that bridge between those who work in libraries versus, or I should say in alignment with those who work in higher ed or in library faculty uh, positions. And sometimes you hear that, you know, that tension between the theory and practice. And I really think that the professional field, which I worked in many years, for many years in a library, um, we really need to be informed by the research that's being done on campuses and vice versa. Um, As a faculty member, I need to know what folks in libraries are doing. And so really trying to use that chair Uh, position to uh, amplify those efforts. And then the second area of research is fake news, misinformation, disinformation. I'm calling it um, fake news consumption and resistance, really, and thinking about, you know, we're never going to be free of fake news, uh, whatever iteration it takes, whatever we call it at at a given moment. Um, And we need to amplify, again, Uh, those information literacy skills, those media literacy skills, uh, and give folks an agency uh, to say, "Uh, you know, that doesn't really sound right. I'm going to check that out. Um, And that's where I'm I'm going with the idea of resistance. So those are the two main things uh, that I do research about and also teach classes in. And that's interesting. You talk about fake news because, you know, a lot of people in a time where folks or the general public think, well, everything is online, why do we need libraries? You know, that's one of those other factors that a lot of people don't think about is that 
research professionals know how to spot fake news and they Absolutely. know how to use quality databases to find accurate information instead of, you know, everyone just Googling everything. Right. Absolutely. Um, so as we kind of have our conversation, I, I wanted to kind of move into talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and how, how does that fit in with your research, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and, and libraries in general? What kinds of things are you seeing? Yeah, you know, this is a really excellent question, uh, and it's a really good reflection point in that um, a lot of us uh, practitioners, researchers, whomever, uh, that do work in equity, diversity, inclusion, and social justice, we've been doing this work for years. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting uh, to see that now it's it's a hot topic again. Um, we, we see, you know, the pendulum swing from when this is not uh, the flavor du jour, if you will, to where, you know, everyone wants to present on it, everyone wants to do research about it, everyone wants to talk about it. And then the next biggest and best thing comes along uh, and it falls by the wayside. So I'm seeing a little bit of that, uh, but it is a little different. Um, and I'm hoping that people's interest in the way that they're talking about it, in the way that they're protesting, in the way that they're demonstrating, uh, and, you know, really trying to have hard conversations about anti-racism, I'm hoping that that will um, continue once, you know, the trend is kind of um, dissipated. Um, you know, I had another uh, round of this in 2015 and 2016 uh, when Michael Brown died and when Freddie Gray died and some colleagues and I started doing presentations about Black, Black Lives Matter in library and information science and we had t-shirts made and all of these things and I have to tell you we got a lot of flack. Um, we were yeah. criticized. Um, there's one presentation that stands out to me where audience members actually attacked us um, mm. verbally, verbally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, you don't know the definition of protest. You don't know this. You don't know that. You're just being sensitive. You're just playing the race card. Uh, and these same colleagues I'm watching on social media, now all of a sudden they're chanting Black Lives Matter. Um, so I'm a little wary of that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, you know, it's on one hand, I think it's a wonderful thing that we're now having these conversations. And on the flip side, I hope that people are doing it for the right reasons. I hope that their minds have been opened um, and they've had, you know, their hearts have changed and that they will actually continue to do this work uh, in a genuine way. It, it really, uh, and, and when you say, you know, be attacked during an interview or I'm, I'm sorry, during a presentation verbally, you know, that's, it's really, I, I don't know how to react to that. You know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, anytime you're in attending a presentation, an academic presentation, or, you know, uh, giving a presentation, you always expect everyone to be, um, you know, have, have a certain kind of um, respect for, for what it is you're doing and, and also be thinking about, um, you know, kinds of scholarly responses or scholarly questions. Um, but it just goes to show how intense a, a discussion it is. Right. And, and absolutely. I think that is definitely part of it. Um, it is a, 
if you will, a hot button issue and it really challenges people. I think um, that it makes people fearful. I think it makes people angry. Um, I think it makes uh, people feel guilty, right? And if there's any guilt or any of these other emotions involved, um, people get really defensive. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the other part of that is, you know, and this is just kind of even a, a side conversation into the dilemma that we have in library and information science, uh, that our workforce is not diverse enough. So I've gotten pushed back on a lot of my work related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, even if I'm not talking about Black Lives Matter, um, just because um, of being a scholar of color, a faculty member of color, a librarian of color. Um, and it's just easy to dismiss sometimes mm -hmm. um, what people are saying when they're talking about uh, these topics, particularly when they relate to our own experience, it, they're very easily dismissed. And that's been, you know, in the 20 plus years I've been in libraries, I've consistently had that experience. Um, but uh, to the point of our conversation, uh, it, it was particularly acute uh, with Black Lives Matter. And, and I hope that we will um, move past this kind of uh, defensiveness um, and move to the point where we can have these really meaningful and purposeful conversations. And not to say that people can't be challenged or, you know, be upset with new information or, you know, how horrible things are, um, but actually move the conversation towards being productive. And, you know, when you're talking about um, being a uh, person of color and in a profession and uh, that is really you know, predominantly a white female profession. It's, you know, historically referred to as a pink collar profession. <laughs> yes. And so here you are and here I am as mm -hmm. a white male, you know, in a <laughs> yes. profession and we're both yep. minorities in this profession. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I do find it interesting that, um, that the conversation, it's there, but it isn't there. You right. know what I mean? Uh, it, it kind of, it pops its head up uh, every once in a while. Um, but it seems now, especially with a global pandemic and things being so unknown, that it is even more so pronounced. Um, so how do you kind of, I'm sure you've been looking a lot at the news and, and just like everyone else in the world has, but how specifically maybe are you seeing what libraries are doing? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting, um, as you said earlier, it's a, it's a perfect storm. Um, and it's unlike anything we've ever seen to have literally a, a global pandemic and then have uh, this social unrest that is also uh, reaching global proportions. Um, and, and, and it's almost as though uh, libraries and, and other folks, right, it's not just us, we're not really sure how to react and we're not sure what to focus on first, right? So everything is still closed. Libraries are talking about how to reopen. They're talking about curbside service. Um, and it's almost like the Black Lives Matter and the social unrest gets put to the back burner and then something else happens. And then we have Black Lives Matter and social unrest in the back burner, but we're still not open, right? We still need to, and I'm, I'm not seeing as much um, merging these two things together. 
um, and I'm not sure that uh, some places will get there. Um, I'm sure some libraries will, uh, you know, really beautifully roll with these punches and find a way to make both of these things happen because neither of these problems uh, will go away. So we're going to have to figure out how to change our services. We're also going to have to figure out how to change our internal climate and our uh, cultural uh, part of our organization to address um, all of the things about race and oppression and, and building community. So they do go together. I don't think we've gotten to the point where we know how they mm -hmm. go together. Right. And one of the things I think of when I think of public library service is how libraries generally reflect the communities they're in. So, you know, if you have an all white community, that library service is going to be different from having right. an all, all black community. And, and I think of, you know, public library branches in South Carolina, such as the John L. Dart branch in Charleston, mm -hmm. which is predominantly African American. And I see the kinds of programs that, you know, some of the larger library systems are doing on equity, diversity and inclusion and having the conversation out there. Um, you know, in the larger library communities, I think that's taking off, and I think it's much more difficult for some of the smaller rural oh, sure. libraries to do. One of the things that we've also been seeing are a lot of Confederate statues being removed. And that's I'm amazing. It really is amazing. And what I'm thinking of in terms of libraries is what if a library is thinking about changing its name? You know, what if a library has any kinds of monuments on its property? What could they be doing or what should they be thinking about? Yeah, and I mean, to your point, libraries are microcosms of their communities and they should be following suit. And, you know, I think that's just my short answer um, on that. But, you know, your question reminded me of something that I'm also seeing is I'm seeing renewed conversations about neutrality. And I don't understand why we're still having these conversations. Libraries are not neutral. They've never been neutral. They cannot be neutral just by nature of humans work in libraries. And we make decisions. We do certain things. We don't do other things. And there's always some type of uh, rationale or decision-making process uh, behind those decisions, whether they are implicit or explicit. And so these conversations about neutrality, I think, in part, are designed to kind of absolve libraries from really getting to the point where they would have to have a conversation about a name change, or they, would ha they wouldn't have to make a, a decision about taking a statue down, or they wouldn't have to make a decision or create a policy if a hate group wanted to use one of their meeting rooms, right? That's another discussion. Uh, that's also coming up. A, a third discussion is whether or not libraries should have police in the building. So that could be uh, in the form of security. Um, also seeing uh, lots of programs, you know, read with a cop, have a cupcake with a cop, right? And, and these conversations get really polarized, you know, with these calls for defund the police mm -hmm. um, and abolish the police. And, you know, lots of different discussions and opinions to be had about that. Um, and the libraries are going to have to get involved in that. Some are very anxious to get into those conversations. Others are leaning back on neutrality and they're like, nope, we don't have to talk about that. Mm -hmm. but, but you really do. Um, so these are kinds of the things 
um, that I'm seeing in terms of conversations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think of the traditional, this is the, the old librarian in me coming out, but I think of the traditional, you know, February is Black History Month, and that's when you put up a book display, and, you know, uh, March is Women's History Month, right. and that's when you put up a book display, but those are very minor things. What, what in your opinion, do you think libraries should be doing? Yeah, yeah. I... I, we should be doing this work. We should be highlighting all of our diverse populations and communities every day, right? It shouldn't be just for a month. It shouldn't be, you know, just a special after school program, uh, you know, if something happens, you know, to address a crisis. Um, talking about equity, diversity, inclusion, and social justice and working with our diverse population should be naturalized. So it's just part of our everyday life in libraries. Um, you know, and, and I, I always say uh, that small actions matter, right? They don't have to be grand sweeping gestures, um, but we should be doing this work every day and not just, you know, when we have to, or not just for, you know, a month or so. And, you know, I've been watching uh, like Richland Library in Columbia, Oak Park Public Library in Illinois. They have put out uh, wonderful statements and resources. Uh, their statements that uh, they, where they um, say that they support their communities and Black Lives Matter, they can back up those statements with continuous action. They're, they have years worth of links and materials that say we value our trans patrons. We value our black patrons. We value this community. So they can actually walk the walk. Whereas I think a lot of libraries are just talking the talk because they feel like they should be putting out a statement. So this is what I'm suggesting in terms of what libraries should do. We should be doing this continuously. We should be doing this all the time. So the next time a crisis happens, you won't have people questioning your sincerity because we've never seen this library or this staff do anything for diverse people or people of color before. So, you know, creating this environment where everyone is welcome and everyone is supported and celebrated in a continuous fashion. And, and I think that's how we get to the point where libraries can say, we are gonna to work towards anti-racism. We are going to work towards you know, these goals, because we've already, you know, started shifting our culture um, and creating a space where that's actually possible. Yes, I agree. Exactly. Um, and, and as you're talking, one of the things I'm, I'm thinking is that, you know, traditionally libraries have, have been a place where people can find out information that they want or that they need. And in in the more recent history of libraries, libraries, you know, have been doing a lot more programming and a lot more education. So right. the library is not just the place where you go to check out the book. The library is where you take your kids for story time or where you go to uh, even have tax preparation assistance. Right. You know, there's all kinds of things, but maybe along the lines of education and programming, what are some of the things related to Black Lives Matter or equity, diversity, and inclusion um, programming that you've seen libraries doing? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I've seen uh, different writing programs, um, how to use writing as a tool uh, to get involved with discussions about race. I've seen uh, just regular discussions, uh, maybe, uh, I don't know if town hall forums would be the right uh, term for that, but just, you know, bringing people together just to have conversation um, and have a, uh, I'll say a brave space instead of a safe space uh, to have these types of conversation. I've seen libraries do poetry slams and, you know, maybe the theme is to talk about Black Lives Matter or to talk about race relations. I've seen some other programs that really rely on making, um, whether you're making a video or you're making art, right? Really um, kind of focusing on this idea on how else can we express ourselves uh, when we're in pain or when we're in anger or, or uh, when we're dealing with the world. There are other ways to kind of have this self-expression. So I've seen some uh, libraries do that. And then also you have the traditional book club, which is uh, you know always valuable. I would say with the book club that there should be some intention uh, to take that further, right? And, uh, this idea that reading the book alone will not make you uh, anti-racist. Um, and just, you know, I've seen some folks be really creative um, about how uh, people can express themselves and, and just try to work through such difficult times. I will say that the more creative the program, it's usually those libraries and librarians that already have an existing relationship with their communities, right? I think it's going to be really hard for a library or a library staff to say, hey, let's go to, you know, the Black branch or the Latino branch and say, we're going to have this really deep conversation on race and you don't know these people. They're not going to mm -hmm. talk to you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it kind of goes, you know, hand in hand. Um, but yeah, people are doing um, some really creative things. And on the flip side of that coin, there are a lot of libraries that aren't doing anything. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, this kind of like, if we ignore it, it'll go away. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, we're always going to have, you know, the, that dichotomy uh, mm -hmm. in the profession. Yeah. Um, let's say that there is a library out there um, who is interested in exploring opening up to the discussion. Uh, what kinds of resources are out there for them? There are so many resources. Uh, it's almost overwhelming. Um, <laughs> and I say that as a librarian, I say that as a, you know, a educator and all of these things, I'm overwhelmed. Um, so I can imagine, you know, uh, how overwhelming it is for folks who don't do this for a living. Um, I would say, find a colleague who is willing to talk to you and willing to kind of do that labor with you. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about colleagues who have demonstrated that they do this well. Um, and ask them if they're willing to just kind of walk you through it and tell them, you know, where they, what, what they're reading. Um, in some cases, there may have been some training involved, right? There's lots of training on how to facilitate conversations. There's training on racial equity. There's training uh, in a lot of things. Um, and that's, I think, what libraries should be looking at. So either find colleagues who are doing it well or find some training 
Um, so to say that you don't have to do this alone, you don't have to kind of make it up or recreate the wheel, the resources are there. Um, but find, uh, I would say, a streamlined list or, you know, just pick one thing. If you want to have conversations, focus on that. If you want to have uh, poetry slams, focus on that. Because if we focus on we're going to have all the programs for all the people to talk about this topic, um, it's going to get out of hand quick. And then it's just going to be easy to say we couldn't do it. Um, and, and rightfully so. So I would say find an expert. Uh, and, and keep it simple, at least when you start. Definitely. And one of the things I can speak to here in South Carolina, and of course, we may have listeners in many other locations, but um, I would encourage folks to check with their state libraries, because here in South Carolina, we're very lucky in that the last two or three years, we've actually hired a consultant. Uh, her name's Caroline Smith. And Wonderful she is our, resource. She is our inclusive services consultant. And it's so nice to be able to have that on our own staff, or yes. our own, yes. you know, resource. But, um, you know, check with your state library, see what kinds of equity, diversity, and inclusion resources are available there. And also look to some of the larger public library systems right. because they're really doing this. And even though it would be difficult, maybe in a smaller rural uh, you know, a community library, just kinds of, of things to think about uh, all of those resources. So kind of thinking along the lines of, um, you know, fake news and Black Lives Matter and, and all of these different resources, what kinds of additional research projects are you going to be working on in the coming months? And has maybe this global pandemic and the progression of Black Lives Matter impacted that research? That's a great question. Um, I will say yes, it has impacted my research, um, but I think uh, more likely it's extended my research um, since I've already been uh, doing equity, diversity, inclusion. During the pandemic, I've done, uh, created this site for anti-racism resources, and that got a lot of traction, uh, which I was surprised and also pleased about. Um, and I have plans to incorporate those resources and anti-racism as a topic into my teaching in the fall. Um, there are some wonderful uh, colleagues, professors on the University of South Carolina campus that I'm now working with in the College of Education. And there's also a, a dance professor. He's kind of our, our group leader. And we've been having meetings to talk about how do we develop a curriculum to take into schools specifically about anti-racism. And so we're hoping to kind of relate it to their professional development, um, but really give them something to dig into because we all realize as educators uh, you, and librarians, you can't have a 90 minute session and expect someone to completely change their life, right? Um, so we're working on that um, specifically about anti-racism. And I'm actually hoping that we can offer this to faculty and staff at U of SC as well, um, if we're gonna have this curriculum. So that's turned into a really uh, opportune um, thing to just be able to harness this moment and say, you know, let's turn it into something uh, useful and productive. Um, so that will relate to my current work, but it, this is also kind of like an offshoot um, as well. 
And, you know, I, as the Augusta Baker chair, I've been having a series of lectures and uh, guest speakers coming in from all over the country to talk about equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, that will certainly continue, um, but it just does give us more uh, to talk about and really uh, want to push forward and continue having even harder conversations uh, to match up with what people are seeing on the news and seeing in their communities. Um, and just, uh, this is a, a great time to be even more responsive uh, in terms of covering these topics. Definitely. And I hope that, you know, folks who are listening who may be working in libraries and are thinking about having that conversation, if they're not having that conversation already, that this will help them kind of get over that fear and get over that hump and, and yeah. kind of learn more and take it upon themselves to do a little bit of research and, and just Absolutely. figure out where to start. So on our podcast page, we have uh, some links to the Augusta Baker chair information and also to information about you and that's Nicole Cook, and that's Cook with an E on the end. <laughs> yes. So um, I would encourage folks to um, find that information and, and continue looking for more information because this is a conversation that is not going away. Absolutely. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. And thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We also love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. So until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening.